to another episode of Sean and Ed's Do Baseball. I'm Sean. And I'm Ed's. And we're here bringing you baseball history. That's right. We're a bi-weekly baseball history podcast where the story catcher doesn't know what the story pitcher is going to be throwing them. And that doesn't make sense. No, it's a terrible metaphor, but we're rolling with it. Well, anyway. we do. We do have meetings before the game. That's right. We still get crossed up. <laughs> That's right. Uh, we thank you so much for being here. We have a very special episode today. We have a guest joining us uh, from Sportsnet, Blue Jays Talk Plus, uh, caller commentator on the radio there. Blake Murphy will be coming on with us shortly. But before that, Edzy, where can they find us on social media? Uh, they can find us on Twitter at Doing Baseball and on Instagram and TikTok at Doing Baseball. That's right. You can find me on Twitter, I guess Twitter, at Sean Do Baseball. And I'm on Twitter at Ed's Do Baseball. Yeah, that's a weird thing to say today. But regardless, <laughs> let's not make these episodes dated. Yeah. Uh, we have a sponsor, though. We have a wonderful sponsor, uh, Two Loons Brewing. Uh, Two Loons makes a wonderful IPA as well as a whole bunch of beers that you can find locally in Toronto uh, as well as at the LCBO. And hopefully we'll be seeing a brick and mortar location real soon. Uh, but until then, find their beer at the LCBO or local local brew pubs. Also check them out at twoloonsbrewing.com. And of uh, course, of course, please be of legal drinking age and enjoy responsibly. That's right. And, Edzie, I want to do a special announcement. Uh, I My voice is hoarse. I don't mm -hmm. know if you can hear. I did. I noticed as soon as you got here. I Yeah. So, I was yelling at children all weekend. At children? Well, teenagers. Okay. Yeah. So That's more understandable. That is way more understandable. Uh, but the good news was I was on one of the most historic fields in the United States. So, I had the pleasure of, of coaching down in Hamtramck. Uh, Michigan, uh, just outside of Detroit, and uh, there is a fantastic stadium there, a uh, stadium that was home to uh, the Detroit Stars and the Detroit Wolverines, I believe, uh, and it's been revitalized. So I want to ask everybody, all our listeners, to please go to hamtrampstadium.org, uh, check it out, read about the history of uh, the Negro Leagues in Detroit, and donate uh, to revitalize this wonderful, wonderful stadium. So, well, it sounds like an awesome initiative. It looks like you guys had a, a good time down at the tournament, and uh, yeah, we definitely did. Yeah. So, uh, just to spell that out, that is H A M T R A M C K uh, Stadium S T A D I M dot org. Uh, where you can read all about the history and hopefully click that donate button uh, to help them do the clubhouses next. Awesome. Well, I hope they do. All right. Uh, so, we're are you... welcome the guest. Oh, we're going to welcome the guest. Blake Murphy, thank you so much for coming. How are you? As I said, host of Blue Jays Plus, uh, broadcaster uh, on the radio at Sportsnet. Uh, also, if you love basketball, you can follow his basketball coverage as well for the Raptors. Honestly, we're ecstatic that you are here thank you so much yeah thanks so much thanks, Blake. thanks for having me i'm uh, a little jealous of the hamtramp stadium uh trip how did you guys do in the tournament uh three and one we got rained out one game and uh 
our final game, we won 6 nothing, and had we won 7 nothing, we would have moved on. Damn. <laughs> run short you you got to i got to put that on the manager or the coach whatever you whatever you uh, call what, yourself whatever your, your job is role. whatever yeah. my job is whatever uh, some days i call myself a, a coach or a manager other days i'm not sure um, but this isn't about me uh blake are you ready to hear uh, a story from uh baseball history edzie's gonna be uh talking to us and uh and yeah also Give a shout out to yourself. Uh, where can people find you uh, on the internet or, or listen to you talk about baseball? Yeah, uh, Jays Talk Plus right now, 10 to 12 every day on Sportsnet or in the Blue Jays Talk podcast feed. We'll have extended hours uh, next week for the trade deadline, uh, of course, and trying to line up some, I don't know, you can't really plan that well for the trade deadline, but try to line up some some guests and see who they end up trading with. And then... Um, yeah, I only have a couple games left, but I've been popping up on the broadcast as well as a radio color analyst sometimes. I think I only have a few of those left, though. Well, we'll be, we'll be listening for it for sure. We will. We will. Uh, honestly, uh, great, great analytics and, and just uh, great commentary uh, on baseball. So we're hoping you can give us uh, some good commentary, but Edzie's going to start us off, and we, we warned you. There's going to be some 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 deep history here. Yeah, this is a bit of. I'm going to get a bit into uh, some frontier history. Okay. Uh, to to start things off here, I just want to quickly before I start thank uh, our mutual friend uh, Matt Marchese. Okay. For uh, he was actually. I'm hoping Blake that you haven't. Uh, you don't know this story. Maybe you you've heard of it, perhaps, because uh, like I say, we, we have a mutual friend there. Okay. But, but Matt was the one that actually turned me on to this story. Oh, interesting. So, Matt uh, from Sportsnet, the yes. Jeff Merrick show. Yes. All right. That's correct. Okay. Some of the best hair in the business. Honestly, chest hair. I think that's what you're talking about, right? I was talking up top, but I'll take your word for it on the chest there. Matt, if you're listening. <laughs> okay, I'm just going to move on oh. away from that right now. So, Sean and Blake, uh, this is a story that takes place on the edges of the expanding United States in the late 19th century. Ooh. It was a time of great change across the nation as the hands of order crept westward, claiming lands for centuries roamed by the indigenous peoples and placing new laws as the standard. Mm -hmm. This is the story of America, a story of violence, corruption, and of course, baseball. Okay? Wow. <laughs> it's like a Ken Burns documentary. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but first... Uh, this all began in 1862. On May the 20th, the Homestead Act was passed in the United States. Okay. So what this was was basically they passed a law where you could just move out west and pay the government 10 bucks after uh, five years, I believe. Yeah, five years on the land. You'd get it free and clear with a $10 registration fee. But you could also acquire the title after only six months living out there. With, like, you know, trivial improvements, you could, like, build a barn and, and stuff. And then, but to, to claim it that early, you'd have to pay $1.25 per acre. Okay. You could claim up to 160 acres. All right. So, so if you're claiming 160 acres at $1.25 an acre, that's quite a bit. So, basically, because there was no, you know stipulations in this law yeah. it 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 created opportunities for fraudulence to happen yes so um 
most of the land went to people who already had money, like speculators, cattle owners, miners. Whoa, whoa I, I'm just, I'm glad that since 1862, we've gotten away from only the people who already have can purchase more. I'm glad we fixed the system. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's totally different now, now you know? Yeah. It, it, this is not at all what it's like today. <laughs> <laughs> so, as I say, all the rich people are, are, buying, are buying up all the land. And between 1862 and 1904, the General Land Office dispersed some 500 million acres, but only 80 million of that went to actual homesteaders, like small farmers. The people they wanted to go out there and develop the land. Yes, yes. In fact, uh, just a little aside, more small farmers got their land in the West through, uh, I guess, amended homestead acts that came about in the 20th century. All right, so we're getting deep into some legislation <laughs> real yeah. early. Yeah, so people started heading west to stake their claims to all this land that the federal government was giving away. Mm -hmm. And by 1865, the Union Pacific had built their track out that far. That's like, was who, yeah. they, they had bought up quite a bit of the land, right? Okay. So um, Francis Beard described the Wyoming ter territory as a child of the Union Pacific. The railroad uh, obviously brought a larger population to the West and they built stops along the way based on access to water and other resources like oh. coal to keep the engines running and water. There were four major towns to sprout up along the line in these areas that would become Sheridan, Laramie, Cheyenne, and Rollins. Okay. So the prospectors came to ext extract stuff like coal, like I said, and gold and silver and copper. Farmers grew crops, hotels opened up, and soon there were saloons, mercantiles, and banks to hold all the money. And ranchers drove thousands of heads of cattle over lands that many cattlemen believed was the best grazing land in the country. So the population is growing. Yep. And as mentioned, a lot of the largest landowners are cattlemen, and a bunch of conflicts start sprouting up along the frontier in all different parts of the country as homesteaders began to stake claims to public land that the cattlemen wanted for grazing. <laughs> it is funny that, <laughs> yeah, once again, there's been recent incidents that, that ring through this. But yeah, go yeah. ahead. Keep going. Uh, in 1874, a new invention came onto the market that is very useful to these cattlemen, which is barbed wire. Okay. So these disputes across the expanding states building and tearing down barbed wire fences became known as the fence cutting wars. There's a dollop episode on that if you want to get into that history or whatever. Yep. In Wyoming uh, in 1883 a court ordered big cattle company a court ordered a big cattle company to stop fencing public lands and remove their fences. Uh, it had built around the certain sections, but by 1885, barbed wire had basically overrun the entire area, and, <laughs> and it was it was a losing battle. So and just... by 1886, we had the first really bad barbed wire tattoos around biceps <laughs> all over the frontier. That's, That's right. correct. There was just <laughs> cowboys taping it to their bicep. <laughs> That's correct. That's where they started writing the script for Pamela Anderson's movie. Yes, of course. Yeah. 1996 is yes. very famous barbed wire. Yeah, barbed wire. So, as I say, there's all these fights going on, as and sheep farmers are cutting the barbed wire <laughs> to let their... Sheep, sheep through. go through to the water and the grazing land and stuff. 
and that's pissing off the cattlemen because they want to keep their grazing lands intact and furthermore they want to protect their livestock from either predators or what was common at the time rustlers who were like attempting to steal cattle during the grazing seasons <laughs> stealing a cow yeah gotta love it as a profession right what do you do cow thief yeah good old rustler i, I mean at the, it, it's it's a it's it's a product of the times so. all right all right so how are we getting from cows to baseball here you'll see we're, we've got to get to prison first oh we have to get to prison first yeah. of course yeah. like we knew that was coming right yeah so <laughs> uh, <laughs> so now in 1872 the cattle ranchers got together and started like a uh, organization to you know organize the roundups and they scheduled cattle shipments and track the cattle brands and stuff yep um but most of the time they were eliminating the cattle rustling uh they hired a number of detectives whose job it was to prevent and punish the cattle thieves but also as you can imagine a large number of industry men with a lot of land money and influence evolves into a strong political force which was essentially the de facto territorial government at the time, because basically they schmoozed the governor, uh -huh. and you know he was probably also another cattleman. Yes. But anyway, they all, all these rich stockmen needed somewhere to store their money, so yes. they had a bank, and the guy who ran the bank was a man named Joseph Carey, and Joseph Carey was. A lawyer, a rancher, judge, blah, blah, blah. In the 1860s, he moved from the east to the west. And he was appointed by the president at that time to be the attorney okay. in Wyoming. So he's a big wheel over there. And yep. he's like in with the cattlemen, right? He's a cattle dude. So, uh, but there's another guy out there, Francis Warren. Okay, he's another big politician who was also... The mayor of Cheyenne right after Joseph Carey. Okay. As I say, I'm trying to go quickly through the political stuff here. All right. But uh, so Warren was a farmer and raised stock in Massachusetts. He was also a, a Civil War veteran. And his entire platoon was destroyed by a Confederate bombardment. And he took a serious scalp wound and, and still was able to fight off the infantry or whatever. Good for him. Yeah, so he, he's he's well respected, obviously. He's a tough tough dude. Yeah, and he he goes to Cheyenne. He becomes the mayor, and and you know develops their first lighting system and stuff like that. So he's he's well liked, and he became quite wealthy and naturally moved into politics. I mean, as the mayor, you're already well. This once, was this was after he did the lighting stuff, and I like you say, right? when he became wealthy and then got into politics. That 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 tracks. Yeah, so so in 1884, Warren turned down a seat in Congress yeah. that Kerry won. And then Warren was appointed governor of the territory, removed in 1886. Goes back and forth between some, some different Democratic and Republican presidents. Yep. And then Warren runs for governor in 1890 after Wyoming becomes a state. So... Basically, what I'm trying to illustrate is these two guys, like they're 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 working together, but they're they're on two different sides of like sort of the political spectrum spectrum at the time. And this he, is Warren and Carey. Warren and Carey. Okay. You'll see how this comes becomes important. It's their alliances that become important. So, so as I say, Carey's more of an old guard stockman. 
and Warren is more of an everyman. And they're both named, they both win the seats for Senate when the state, when Wyoming becomes a state. Yes. And then in 1893, Warren dips from his seat and gives it up to another guy who is like, in favor of this movement at the time called the free move free silver movement. Okay. If, and if you don't know what that is, it's like a populist movement that was kind of going against the gold standard at the time. <laughs> we need silver in our lives more than gold. Yeah. Well, at the time you could take, you could just like go and collect gold from the Hills and take it to a mint and they'd make you money. Right. But, but only, you know, rich prospectors were able to kind of do that thing. But silver was like abundant among, you know, the lower classes, I guess, somehow. It was just more abundant. Yeah. So anyway, moving on. (laughs) This is Um, some pretty wild history. Yeah. So like I say, these two political figures are kind of friendly, but they also kind of secretly hate each other because of this, you know, vacating of the seat. He vacates the seat. Uh, another guy takes it and then Warren runs against Kerry in the next election and takes his seat oh. and then Kerry's pissed and spends 15 years like toiling, <laughs> like trying to get his, his, his seat, seat back. back. Right. So, um, now with more and more people coming into the region, as we mentioned, and there's general lawlessness about at all this time. Oh my God, are we about to get into prisons? Yes, there needed somewhere to house the prison. They're the the prisoners. So in eighteen in the eighteen by the eighteen eighties, there was a prison in Laramie that was overflowing. So they decided to build a new one in Rollins, and they thought it would be the perfect place because the town itself had a reputation of dealing harshly with those who stepped out of line. We'll put it in the we'll put the prison in the town where they torture people. Yeah. You want an example of the torture? Sure. You ready for this, Blake? For example, I'm ready. in eighteen eighty one, George Parrott, aka Big Nose George, was a gang <laughs> member. Yeah, Big Nose George. Okay. Was a gang member who tried to rob a Union Pacific train and he was not successful. But he did evade arrest for a while before he was captured. And he shot and killed two Carbon County deputy sheriffs. Oof. When he was eventually captured, he was lynched for the murders and shoes were made from his skin. What? Who wore the shoes? I don't, I, I assume the sheriffs. <laughs> I don't know, but that could make a, you could probably make a few pairs of shoes. Oh my God. From, I'm. I can tell by Blake's face that he was not expecting that when he signed up I was for this. Not, I was not <laughs> expecting the, uh, yeah, certainly not expecting shoes, skin shoes to, to play into this. I'm also, I am fascinated as to how we're getting to baseball oh. from from here. Sometimes it takes a while, but we always get there, Oh, no, that's, yeah. that's great. I, I'm running through scenarios here, like does a league pop up as like a prison yard league first, like longest yard style. What's uh, I, where I, we're headed from here? I okay. thought we might be talking about Harry Carey's grandpa for a while. No, no. <laughs> so, so Matt hasn't told you about this, obviously. So, so they don't nope. they, they don't fuck around in Rollins is basically what I'm saying. Uh, and this is the reason that the legislative assembly decided to build the penitentiary there. And they began construction in 88, but poor weather conditions and hurdles, uh, within 
the legislation and all that stuff. It, it wasn't built for another decade, and they didn't even get prisoners there until 1901. Okay. But by 1901, they've got this prison, and a man named J.P. Henn uh, is appointed the warden by the state. And Hen, under the direction of the board and practicing what was all too common at the time, instated what was called a convict leasing program. So, so you could basically like go at, like a private companies could like pay a fee to the prison, and they would get cheap, cheap prison labor. Yeah, and the prison would subsidize like the food and clothing of the of the prisoners, each prisoner per day. Uh-huh. And, uh, and, and then you could sell whatever they were making and you could make the profits. I think they still do that. Well, <laughs> I, I, I think they do, but well, I don't know if they do it in Wyoming, but not a, maybe not, but, uh, anyway, so the, the guy who's the convict lessee at the time is this, is this, uh, Laramie drugstore owner and sheep rancher. He's a sheep man, not a so, so he's like aligned with this Warren, Francis Warren guy, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, so, so the state would pay back Graham 57 cents per prisoner per day for daily support. And then Graham would sell the brooms from anywhere from 52 cents to $2.15. So he's making them make brooms. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And the profits are supposed to keep the cost of the prison down or to the taxpayers. Oh. And, and, ah, and yeah, right. <laughs> I know. I exactly. Know. That's hilarious. Yes. yes. <laughs> and and Gra- the idea also was, I guess Graham is kind of acting as like a de facto warden as well. Yeah. And so, so this is the best gig ever if you're Graham. You know, you pay the president a little bit for the contract, and then they pay you for the food and the clothing, and sure, you know, you make all this money. Once again, if you have the ability to do it, and you get cheap labor. Yeah. But the conditions under Graham were awful to say the least oh. and there were stiff penalties for those who couldn't meet the broom quotas that graham set and there were rewards for extra food and new clothes for those who were highly productive and prisoners told stories of tomato cans being used for drinking cups and meals being calculated down to the last bean so that there was just enough food to stave off starvation oh and one of the capital punishments, I guess capital punishment's not really the word to use. Like, it wasn't like how they killed you, but one of the terrible punishments was they would handcuff uh, prisoners to a tall metal pole and then whip them with rubber hoses. Whoa. Harry A. Pendercraft wrote of his time in the Wyoming State Penitentiary years after his release in a letter to the Laramie Republican when he claimed that Graham and Hen were merciless and that the penitentiary was an incubator that breeds and nourishes criminal instincts and sends men from prison in a worse state of degradation than when they entered here. Okay, so they're like, this place is so bad, it's just making everyone a worse person. This is the opposite of what we want. Yes. Okay. Yes. So Kerry would use this controversy, because remember, he's like pissed, and he's trying to find dirt on any of these guys so that he can get back into some kind of political seat. Sure. So he's like vehemently condemned the state contract that enabled Graham to add to his bank account. And he wasn't too far off because it's not known how much, if any of it was actually skimmed, but apparently Graham was able to make like $250,000 worth of broom money. 
in <laughs> from 1903 to 1911. Well, if you have slave labor, you know. Yeah, it's 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 not hard to, <laughs> it's not to hard make to money turn that a profit. Way. Yeah, and there was also just uh, to add to Graham's controversy, there was also a time when Graham was state treasurer. Okay. And he was accused of misappropriating funds. Yeah. And the money was eventually found, but the news was out there, and Carrie used this rumor to call Graham's integrity into question, and. By association, his political rival in Francis Warren. Okay. By, by the way, quick, Matt, you said 250k is about what he what he's alleged to have made from it. Yes, yeah. in in eight years, but still. 8.7 million adjusted for Holy inflation here fuck. in 2023. So that's um, I, I don't know that you could crack off 8.7 million off brooms today, but that's a that's a hefty amount of money for the time yeah in, he, he in is, wyoming he is cleaning up excuse the pun he is <laughs> jesus christ Nancy. <laughs> so finally in uh january of 1911 start things start to turn around for old joseph Carey. okay because he he no longer runs as a republican and he runs for governor as a democrat and and, and he wins cool. so so to set the scene of what's been going on by the aughts uh, a number of guards had been murdered at the prison. What? Yeah, like shit was going crazy. Like, you know, like <laughs> Graham was, you know, making money, but also not spending money on on the prison, obviously, you know, <laughs> or or extra guards or anything like that. So, or, yeah, so things are going badly. Yeah, several prisoners had been killed in escape attempts, and one had been hanged by other prisoners. Go so on. so the prison is a is a hot topic and and Carrie, you know, kind of used that controversy to to win the election, right? And Carrie also promised an 8-hour workday for women and children. Well, good. <laughs> we can't have kids working can, long working hours longer than 8 days. <laughs> Labor king eight hours. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> good roads, use of a secret ballot. Which I don't know what that means. Does anyone know what that means? Well, I have no idea. Anyway, my should... guess is that there wasn't a lot of at the, and this is not something I know, but my guess would be that at the time there was not a lot of faith that you wouldn't be persecuted if you voted against whoever ended up winning. Oh, that's so a good the point. Secret, right. The secret ballot may be oh. allowing you to vote without fear of yeah. you know, if, you, if you end up on the wrong side of the vote. I see. Ah, I like that. Okay. I think you're right there, Blake. That that makes a lot of sense. And he was also uh, for the removal of Otto Graham's contract for operation of the state prison. And just like that, wham, bam, Bob's your uncle, carries back. So, as this, the nationwide, there's been momentum towards ending this convict leasing program. Yes. Wyoming's known as the Progress State, just okay. as a side. And this guy's governor now. Yes. So, uh, you know, pro- progressive, sure, you could say that, but I really think it was just about saving money at the prison, as he, as he usually is. Yeah. Uh, so in April of 1911, the program was, in fact, struck down by the Wyoming State Legislature. So Otto Graham is like, I'm, I'm out of here. I, I, my, May- br- my broom revenue stream is, is dried up. Okay. And the warden that succeeded Hen is also like, let's go. So this gives Joseph Carey the opportunity to point his own warden at the prison. And he appoints a man called Felix Alston. And just as a little aside about like how Carrie and Graham like 
and Warren hate each other. Like, Carrie just randomly kicks Graham off, like, a university board that he's on. He's like, I'm governor now. Get out of here, Carrie. Like, you know, he's just kicking him out of all these He big places. leagues him. Yeah. So, uh, Alston led an eventful light at various times. He was a cowboy on the Texas Trail, a gold miner, uh, election judge, feed store owner, water and ice man. Okay, one of those things is a little different than the others. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, election judge? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He was a farmer, Yellowstone National Park guide, justice of the peace, tax collector, deputy sheriff, and sheriff of Bighorn County. Okay. This is quite a resume. But so that's that's how he gets put in as the prison guy cuz they're like, "Oh, let's bring in the sheriff. He'll he'll crack things down, right?" Yeah. But uh, what you might be surprised by is that Alston is actually a bit more of a progressive in prison tactics, if you will. And he was eager to introduce certain reforms such as exercise programs for the inmates and better nutrition. Oh. He believed that the prisoners could benefit from time outside the dungeons and even those with good behavior could earn the right to give back to their communities by participating in road work done by chain gangs of inmates. Okay, I guess. It's like, well, what if we don't whip them with hoses anymore? Yeah, yeah. There we go. He was on the cutting edge. So, exercise. Yeah, but the State Board of Charities and Reform along with Warren and, of course, Graham, questioned the new warden's ability to run the prison and keep the public safe. They're like, well, if he's going to let, you know, hardened criminals out on the streets to fix the roads, they could just escape and murder us all. <laughs> okay. Right? You know? But they're, they're chained up. Well, it, I, it, it's not, it's yeah. not logical. It's a talking point. It's, a it's politics. Yeah. So, so um... The three implied in quotes to the Rollins Republican that, quote, the governor and Alston saw the potential of financial gain for themselves at the penitentiary and in time would find their own way of exploiting the system. And perhaps the three critics of Kerry and Alston were right because the most controversial of the old sheriff's reforms was the formation of a prison baseball club. Damn. There we go. It took 30 minutes, but we're, we're there. <laughs> We got there. Like it. I like. And hey, I, I guess I kind of guessed right because I said when when uh, when I was curious how we're gonna get the like longest yard movie style of like yeah, there's a prison football team. They're gonna play against the guards. I, I don't. I don't imagine they're playing against the guards here, given the picture that you've painted of how <laughs> the inmates are treated here. I'd imagine it'd be a lot of high heat uh, coming yeah. in if there was. Yeah. But, uh, okay. All right. So we're, so this is a you, prisoner you, baseball league or prisoner baseball team or, or what's the deal here? This is a prisoner baseball team. Okay. okay. And yes, you are correct, sir, that they would not play the guards. That would be super <laughs> dangerous. Yes. That would yes. not be fun. <laughs> Cleats up, Phyllis. Just, so, just tie cobbing all the cleats. Yes, exactly. You know, they, well, they would they would have uh, they would have cleats made of a man's skin and his teeth. <laughs> oh, God. So. oh God, that's horrible. <laughs> so uh, this this is a time as we've discussed before that baseball was big everywhere. It was like really you know not the only sport, but what you is, know for yeah. lack of a better term, it was the only sport. You know. Yeah, yeah. So this is around the nineteen teens, right? Yes, nineteen eleven. 
Okay, so and companies were putting together teams, uh, not just for entertainment purposes, but to uh, actually entice the best workers as well. Yeah, you'd have the company team, and if you played on the baseball team and you were good, you got like a bonus. Yeah, yeah, or a cushy job. Yeah. So Alston thought, well, this works for the non-incarcerated. Why not us? And uh, from the book, The Death Row All-Stars, a story of baseball corruption and murder by uh, Kazanjan and Enns, which is a a great in-depth coverage of this. It's where I got a lot of the research and, and uh, you know, was able to find a lot of the, the newspaper clippings to go and look up as well. So thank you to those guys yeah, for, for writing this book. Very in-depth. Uh, yeah. Alston hoped the souls of the players on the baseball team he organized would be uplifted by the game. And the souls of these men certainly needed uplifting. It was a 12-man roster... It was uh, integrated, actually, wow. falling in line with uh, Wyoming's reputation as the progress state, okay. as I mentioned. But uh, it was populated by three rapists, a forger, five thieves, and three killers. <laughs> oh, God. So, uh, All right, so you've got, you've got a mix racially and you've got a mix uh, crime-wise. Yeah, criminally. Criminally here, yeah. Yeah. Quickly, let's uh, just quickly go over their crimes here. Joseph Gazzardo played shortstop and was convicted of manslaughter. He had shot at somebody who was shooting at him. Okay. And he missed, and he uh, accidentally killed a woman bystander. Oh. So, so he's in there for manslaughter. Catcher James Powell and first baseman Eugene Rowan had both been convicted of rape and attempted rape Jeez. and attempted breaking and entering. All right. Well, that's a catcher you run. Yeah. Uh, second baseman Frank Fitzgerald and left fielder Earl Stone were in for breaking and entering as well. Uh, three men were convicted of grand larceny. Ora Carmen, who also played left. Third baseman John Crotty and relief pitcher H.A. Pendergraft. Sidney Potter in center field was the forger. And starting pitcher Thomas Cameron was, too, a convicted rapist. So that's ten. And these men are pretty decent at the game. But every neat team needs a star player. Oh, sure. <laughs> and the star player for Alston's All-Stars was a man named Joseph Sang. Okay. Joseph Sang was born in 1882 in Allentown, Pennsylvania. And uh, he, his, his father, Anthony, had immigrated to America from Germany in 1878 mm -hmm. uh, with his parents. And he married Anna Sapple in 1880. Had some kids. Joseph was one of them. I think uh, Joseph had a brother and a sister as well. Cool. Uh, a lot of the count recounting of Sang's life comes from letters he wrote to his priest, Reverend Peter Masson, and he noted that Sang, Sang, quote, had a natural aptitude for baseball, but he never displayed much ambition for anything else. But he continued and added, he never shied away from long hours on the job and was mindful to give an employer all that was required of him and then some. When he was about 17 or 18, he worked as a laborer in one of the area's textile mills. And then beginning in 1903, he moved to New York and worked as a detective for a big railway line. <laughs> railway detective. Yeah. Another great job of the time. Yeah. But in... Uh, 1908, he headed west and stepped off the train when it stopped in Rollins, and he, he went into, like, a saloon. 
uh-huh. and you like saw all this like drinking and and gambling going on or whatever, and you know he's seeing people make wagers on everything from boxing matches to horse races and even political campaigns and stuff, even though gambling had been banned uh, in 1902. Okay. So so uh, so Sang's a nice boy. And he gets back on the train and he goes to Evanston, which is 200 miles west. And he rents a room from somebody named Maroney Ewer. And Maroney also works for Union Pacific. And uh, Sang gets hired as a watchman uh-huh. to work for the, for the railroad. And his supervisor is this guy, William Lloyd, who's... Uh, a 27-year-old Union Pacific detective from Davenport, Iowa. And Lloyd becomes obsessed with tracking down an opium-addicted man named Toy Smith. (laughs) Okay. Who allegedly robbed the train and then shot at two railroad agents who tried to chase him. So Lloyd's spending a lot of time tracking down this Toy Smith dude, and he's away from his wife, Alta Lloyd... And, oh no! And uh, Mrs. Lloyd felt that William had become too invested in his job and had lost interest in her. Oh! And Joseph Sang's there rubbing his hands together. He's new like, to the city. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And furthermore, Blake, uh, while while William was away, she often visited her friend Emma Ewer, who was the wife of Maroney Ewer. The landlords to Joseph Sang. Okay. So they probably hooked him up with the job. Yes. And then, you know, and then he then, starts... He starts. And then they started hooking up. He starts fucking around with, uh, with the boss's wife there. Oh. Yeah. So, so William eventually finds out mm-hmm. in the summer of 1910. And then on August 4th, there's like an altercation. And the August 6th edition of the Laramie Republican reported that some witnesses heard Lloyd and Sang arguing about 7 p.m. in a park. Lloyd, the aggressor, Sang stood his ground and apparently Alta added her own two cents as she stood aside her husband when Sang stepped to one side suddenly and drew a gun from his breast pocket. Shot Lloyd once and then twice more while he laid on the ground. Oof. His wife, Alta, leaning over his body. Okay. The paper continued, and I quote from the Laramie Republican once again, Immediately following the shooting of his former employer, Joseph emptied the remaining three shots of his forty-one Colt revolver into the ground, and a throng gathered on the scene. Joseph did not appear excited and told a bystander to inform an officer warning others to keep away from him. Special City Officers James Downs was soon on the grounds, and Joseph immediately gave himself up to that officer. His only explanation of the tragedy was, quote, I beat him to it. Oh. It was like, yeah, one of us was going to die. Yeah. Well, he, he, I guess he's, like, saying that he was going to, he was trying to pull his gun on me. So I shot him first. So, uh... The article explained that some of the witnesses corroborated the story and some contradicted. But anyway, he was placed in jail and he was like chill the whole time, apparently. Okay. Like there's some there's some later accounts that like I I can't remember if it was him that like eventually said that. I think he said this on his deathbed that what actually happened was that the wife 
there, there was they were fighting the his gun fell out of his pocket the wife picked up the gun shot her own husband whether it was by accident or, or on not purpose. on purpose and then he got the gun shot him two more times holy shit and finished him off but then couldn't like implicate her because he couldn't say that he was fucking around with her so he he took it he took the charge yeah that's that's, that's... kind of what the implication of that resolution is anyway but well, good when what's he the shortstop <laughs> uh he he kind of plays everything he's he's he's, he's, just... he's a catcher uh and, and an outfielder or whatever so um His case went to trial on April 11th, just as Felix Alston was taking over things in Rollins. And as things concluded on April 13th, Joseph Sang was convicted of murder in the first degree. Uh, The Wyoming press quoted Judge D.H. Craig sentencing, quote, that Joseph Sang be transported to the state penitentiary and that he, before sunrise on the 22nd of August, be hanged by the neck until dead. Oh, okay. So he's booked into the prison, and he was asked a series of standardized questions, and somehow it came about that Sang was quite skilled in baseball, and this news was passed along to the warden. So the warden's got his star player. <laughs> he's like, we're going to kill this guy, but first... <laughs> but first, we're going to use his baseball skill. Apparently, he's really Yeah, good. I mean, if I'm... I guess you don't have a lot of leverage when you're in prison, but if I'm him, I'm like, years off the sentence? What are we doing here? Can we get... Can we change it to life in prison instead of death by hanging? Like, yeah. there's got to be... I mean, I guess there's something to... If you know you're on death row, like, you get to play a couple games of baseball, snap <laughs> yeah. it around the diamond a little bit, but I'd yeah. be trying like, to... That's a good enough consolation, Sang. You, know? <laughs> yeah. you should be happy you get to play a few games, but... Yeah, he's like, <laughs> I'm on a hitting streak. We can't end it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you got a star player, and what else do you need? A pitcher. Well, you need a manager. Oh, you need a manager. We got of course. two. I think we got two pitchers. I already. figured the warden would be the manager. No, no. We, well, no, he's not. He's you not. need a manager, <laughs> or in this case, a captain. And the captain of Felix Alston's Death Row All Stars was an insane man <laughs> named George Sabin. Sabin was a well-known cattleman in the region who had been at the forefront of the land disputes I mentioned earlier, around eight. 1908, the Sheep and Cattlemen's Associations of Wyoming agreed, like, to a border. Okay. And then, uh, eventually, a couple of these sheep herders just eventually decided to hop across. So they encroached on the cattlemen's land. Yes, they encroached on the cattlemen's land. And then, eventually, just all the sheep people started doing that. So, again, these, like, big fights between... Between uh, cattlemen and, and sheep herders are really starting to heat up, and <laughs> it becomes known as the Spring Creek Raid. Okay. And uh, I'll describe the grisly scene. I'll quote from uh, the Kazanjan and Ends book again. Quote: Sheep rancher Joe M G woke up from a fast and fitful slumber late on a chilly night in early April 1909 near Spring Creek, Wyoming. There was no light inside the wagon where he and one of his ranch hands had bedded down. When the darkness around him began to break up, he saw the dim blurred outline of a man standing over him. Joe strained to focus on the object. The imposing figure was pointing at him. When he realized the object was a six shooter, it was too late. 
Cattleman, oh, sorry, and from an editorial by Felix Alston. That was from an editorial by Felix Alston okay. in the Cheyenne Daily Reader from 1909. Uh, and this is from the Laramie Boomerang from May 1909. Cattleman George Sabin pulled back the trigger on his 35 automatic and fired a shot into Joe's face. He quickly pulled the trigger back again and slapped the hammer. His objective was not only to kill Joe, but the other man in the wagon. It was a job the gunman dispatched with ease and no regret. All right. So this is some, like, Red Dead <laughs> redemption stuff going on. Yeah, so, so uh, you know, shorten that up. George, George uh, Sabin is, like, the leader of this raid that goes and he... And he you know, basically revenge kills these two guys that were, they were the first sheep guys to go and to jump across that border. So we're coming full circle with the barbed wire wars. Yes. Yes. And, uh, the Wyoming wool growers launched their own investigation because <laughs> they had little trust in the County officials as many of the officials were cattlemen and sheepmen <laughs> doubted the cattlemen could carry out an unbiased <laughs> investigation. This is important. Okay. <laughs> Doubt which extended to Felix Alston, despite the fact that he was the one to eventually apprehend the seven men involved, including George Sabin, who was charged, convicted, and sentenced to more than 20 years in prison. But it wouldn't be too bad for George, because according to Scott Alston, the warden's grandson, a longtime neighbor, and a guest at Felix's 1900, year 1900 wedding, was, of course... George Sabin, the warden's best friend. Okay. Ooh, they're boys. Yeah. They're boys. So so George automatically gets put on the chain gang as well. And that's a positive because you get to get out and about. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And uh, Otto Graham is still pissed about Carrie and Alston terminating the Lessie program and the cash flow. Yeah. So he's keeping a close eye on things yep. and what's going on. He's like, these guys are going to fucking figure out a way to make their own money at this because that's what I was doing. And, <laughs> you know, the, they can't do the Lessie program, but like they, they, they're doing something shady, you know. Yes. So, so he's looking for any dirt that he can dig up. And luckily for him the guard that was given the task of watching Sabin's gang and like most specifically Sabin was a man named D.O. Johnson. D.O. Johnson? Yeah, which I can only assume stands for Dirty Old. Dirty <laughs> Old Johnson. And, and Johnson had been hired at the prison by Graham and still felt loyal to him. Okay. So, so George is like on the team and he doesn't even play. Because he's got two amputated fingers on each hand. What? <laughs> what? Why is he on the team? Oh, because it's like a cushy gig? Cause, well, it's because he's given a cushy gig to his buddy. But also, he, he, he commanded respect both outside and inside the walls. So, like, the prisoners lucky enough to be on the chain gang would be taken out for work in the morning. And then taken back to their cells at night. And, uh... You know, he was he was basically given this cushy job because several guards who this is from the Cheyenne State leader, uh, several guards whose families were in the cattle business believed his actions against the sheep herders were justified. <laughs> oh my god! And the sentence imposed too harsh, so Sabin was allowed to leave the detail dressed in civilian clothing and frequent popular gambling dens and bars when he pleased. 
So he's got like a Goodfellas type setup where everyone's a prisoner and he's got a, a like a two bedroom apartment with a full kitchen and can have furlough and things like That's that. That's exactly what's going on. Every day he gets into they're like they you know like even at one point he went to I don't think I have this quote in the actual story but he he just goes to like a fair and and he's well sure. he's well known right and and a murderer so like people know who he is yeah and and someone was just like what are you doing here George and he's like I'm just taking in the fare a bit <laughs> going back to jail later <laughs> like he was just nonchalant about like being allowed out because it sounds like everybody was basically like ah they they shouldn't have put him in prison anyway fuck those sheep herders you know like <laughs> I love how much animosity there is between sheep sheep people and cow people at this time yeah. So apparently, also uh, George also would get. Oh, okay. I'm not. I'm not gonna yeah. hold on. We'll get to that part. Right. Hold on. I haven't revealed that really yet. The team would practice out in the prison yards while armed guards watched from the towers, and it was clear the best player was Joseph Sang. But all, everybody also knew that Sang was to be hanged, and Sabin was smart enough to not bet his, or possibly the warden's money, until he knew the status of the striped superstar. And uh, apparently an appeal for saying sentence was filed immediately on June 15th, 1911. And on July 18th, 1911, the Chief Justice of the State Supreme Court granted a stay of execution. So they are basically setting this up to bet on it, but only on the con- and make money off it, but only on the condition that Joseph Sang isn't hanged first. Yes. Oh, my. All right. So, yes. so this guy, you... so they go. They basically are. They apply to Carrie, who's like their buddy, and the governor is like passes it through to the chief justice and the state supreme court, and is like, just, just hold off on killing this guy. Right? We got a baseball game to play. Yeah. So, so <laughs> uh, July eighteenth also just happened to be the day that Alston's All Stars would play their first game. Wow. So they're playing against a local company team which is the Wyoming Supply Company Juniors, and they were, like, the best team in Rollins. Okay. How, how do you think they did? Against the prison team? Yeah. Like? Oh, my guess is the prison team just rinsed them. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go uh, I'm gonna go with uh, a shutout by the prison team. Uh, yeah, it, it, this would be too much buildup if the prison team wasn't just, like, unbelievably good. If they, if they just sucked and laid down, this would be... Uh, yeah, it's got to be the prison team winning. And that's the story yes, and, of a horrible team. Yeah, and that, yeah exactly. That's, that's sound logic, Blake. And you're you're correct, because they beat the shit out of them 11 to 1. Wow. Okay, I was off by one well, run. You were off by one run. I was going to say, Blake's correct. Sean's almost correct. All right, I'll take so, it. So, like I say, they beat the shit out of them 11 to 1. And from the Carbon County Journal, July 20th, 1911, the journal called the Death Row All-Stars win over the Wyoming supply company juniors classy classy quote through the kindness of warden felix alston the wyoming supply company juniors went up to the penitentiary sunday afternoon and played against warden's all-star team and was defeated 11 to 1 after a short practice game was called and up to the fourth inning neither side could get a run the juniors failing to get on first while the prisoners came to bat in the fourth two men were put out but they ran into three scores before the third out on errors by the juniors. 
In the next inning, they got four men across the plate while the juniors failed to score. The next inning looked like a shutout again. In the next inning, neither side scored a run, although by bunched hits, the juniors got men on all bases. In the eighth inning, the cons got another home run that brought in two men, and the juniors got their only run. Wallace making a hit and going to first when Walt Smith took his place and got around the bags. The ninth was another shutout for the juniors while the cons got one more man across home plate. The prisoners were all out in the yard and yelled and rooted for their team as if they were watching one of the big leagues play. They made a barrel full of lemonade and passed it around among the players and spectators alike and put blankets over a clothes rack to make a cool shady place for the juniors. In fact, they did everything to make the visit a most pleasant one and, th th and there was no one who realized at the end of the game that they were playing ball in the stockade of the penitentiary. End quote. Wow. So it's a night. It's classy. They yeah. classed up yeah. the joint. So they had a kind of a long-winded explanation of the game, but then they like really emphasized how nice the prisoners were, despite the fact that they were all murderous convicts. Yes. The very the very first Gatorade or water cooler bath, the yeah. lemonade being shared between prisoners and spectators. That's right. It's a it's a long history. <laughs> it's a bridging moment. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, news actually got uh, far and wide of the team there was a washington post article that was headlined quote slayer scores home runs <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> so metal but yeah. like also tragic yeah also slayer seems a little dramatic for like uh, certainly he murdered that guy in a crime of passion yeah but like slayer to me i'm i'm almost thinking slayer on the spectrum is like closer to like serial killer oh than yeah crime of passion murderer yes i agree yeah, yeah, yeah. He's much more of a of a of a Sam Crane type of a murderer than yeah. uh, than like a Jeffrey Dahmer. Yeah, yeah. He's not George Sabin. No, <laughs> no. He's not even playing because he's yeah. got no fingers. He's got no like, fingers. He's just coaches. So so Graham yeah. is like I say, still watch watchful, and he thinks this is Alston and Sabin's version of the Lessee program. Okay. And his old guard pal. Uh, Dirty old Johnson has given him information that Saban is making illegal bets. So he's spilling the beans. Uh, he's making the illegal bets in the visits to bars and gambling halls with money Alston gave him. And, and he's apparently, he, he gets 20% of the winnings. Oh. So like that's his incentive to go out and... I mean, I, I mean, just to walk around free is really an, another part of his incentive. But, but he gets you know, some. He, he's going to get paid too. He gets some kickbacks. Uh, so, so Graham relays this info to Senator Warren. Yeah, back to Senator Warren, who's like, "Yeah, man, that's for sure what's going on." Because Kerry uh, handpicked Alston, and Kerry also loves to bet on horses. So he's like insinuating that Kerry is is also involved in this so he he's invested too and he said in the carbon county journal quote if i hadn't known carrie from the time he stepped off the train in 1869 a green boy up to the present and hadn't figured inside of the inner circles so much with him in political affairs he might possibly fool me once in a while for he surely is the most monumental hypocrite and the most infernal liar when necessary, that God ever permitted to live, who I have been permitted to meet. Hey, that's a guy that ran a prison? 
No, that's the yeah. Damn. No, that's the senator talking about the other senator. Oh my god. <laughs> he's he's so based... let, If I can guess where we're rounding out here, where the Kerry and what is it, Kerry and Warren power yeah, yeah. struggle? Yes. Where this is now going to circle all the way back to haha, caught you with your illegal gambling and. Warren gets the uh, the last W here. Yes, essentially, that's that's where we're going. All right, and and the heat is on for for uh, for for Kerry, and the heat is also on for Alston and for Sang as well because he's he's pretty gentle. He he ends up helping the the prison doctor on in in the prison. Okay, and because of this and because of uh, his position on the team. He kind of has a bit of protection or special treatment, if you will. Yeah, he has a very solid interest in that team <laughs> succeeding. Yeah, yeah. And, and he stands uh, near the guard's desk. like He puffs out his chest whenever players are walking by and everything. And, and this rubs like another prisoner, Lorenzo Paseo, the wrong way, which is a guy who like drinks hair tonic <laughs> to, to like get drunk every day, like a mixture of hair tonic and water. Gets drunk and then just like goes and beats the shit out of like other prisoners, prisoners or whatever. So he's like threatening, you know, saying at the time. So that's another incentive. He wants to get out of there. Uh, so Saban is again visiting the gambling halls, convincing the bookies that he and Alston have great influence over the All Stars. He's like, I threaten these guys all the time, man. Like trust, trust me. Bet on this. So so there's. He's saying that all these deals had been arranged for decreased prison time and permanent stays of execution if the prisoners won all of the scheduled games. Yeah. Which, like, may or may not be true, but, like, Sang wrote about that in his letters to his priest as well. So So it sounds pretty true. Yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, obviously they're not going to have that written down in the prison yeah. You know, minutes of their meetings or anything. We offered this guy not to die if he played a good center field today. <laughs> so so on August 4th, they played another game, which they also won 11 to 1. Oof. And uh, Sang, who, here's from, uh, from the newspaper, Sang was convicted at Evanston. Sang, who was convicted of at Evanston of murder in the first degree, was one of the star players of the convict team, getting four hits in four times at bat and played an errorless game. Sang was sentenced to be hanged on August 29th, but will petition the governor to commute his sentence to life in prison, imprisonment. So there's another gambler, or Allen, who was like friends with Sabin. Yep. And he would carry Sabin's like gambling messages to other saloons okay. around the area, and he would even exaggerate that players may be killed if they lose. So the All Stars took the field again to face the Wyoming Supply Company Juniors on August thirteenth, nineteen eleven, and the Rollins Republican reported on August seventeenth, nineteen eleven, with a. Article, excuse me, entitled, quote, Prisoners Win Again. Quote, another game of baseball was played Sunday morning at the penitentiary between Warden Alston's All-Stars and the Wyoming Supply Company Juniors. Rich Magger was in the box for the Juniors and pitched a fine game, considering that his arm was hurt in the game against Junction City. Thomas Cameron was in the box for the Penn Boys and plainly showed that he was there and over in the pitcher's class. The Carbon County Journal 
also had their own coverage on the 18th. Quote, the juniors were the first up to bat, and Brady, the juniors' third baseman, fanned out. The juniors could not get a hit and failed to reach first. Magord, the juniors' pitcher, let the first convict walk, but were retired before they made a run. The juniors did better in the second, getting one run home. Joseph Sang was put out, going to first, and then Frank Fitzgerald knocked a three-base hit that scored a run. The next inning was a shutout for the juniors, Magor getting as far as third base before the side was retired. The same thing happened to the convicts, no runs being made on either side of the, in this inning. Wallace of the juniors made a run after two men were out in the fourth inning, and the convicts got two runs. Amelia, the junior's shortstop, made the star hit for the juniors, getting a home run in the fifth inning, but the bases were empty and the best he could do was tie the score. The convicts didn't want it tied and put two men over the home plate before they were retired. The sixth was another shutout for the juniors while the cons got one more man across the plate. Magger's arms seemed to go to pieces and the convicts all hit the ball for a base or two. The seventh was another 1-2-3 year out inning for the juniors while the cons got in three scores. One run was made by the juniors in the eighth and they played hard to get another run but were retired before they could get another man home and the convicts got two more runs before their side was out. The ninth inning was a big zero for both sides and the game ended by a score of 11-4 to four in favor of the convicts. Okay. So they're... So there's 11 three. runs consistent. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> they're 3-0, and oh, getting 11 runs every game. Yep. They, they, they stumbled a little bit in this one, allowing four runs. But anyway, uh, so then August 22nd rolls by, which was Sang's execution date. Once again. But he's still alive uh-huh. because the All-Stars have another game scheduled for August 27th. But things are getting hot for Alston, Sabin, and possibly, probably, Carey. Uh-huh. And Graham is putting two and two together. And D.O. Johnson finally tells him how much money had changed hands as a result of the last All-Stars win. Uh-huh. So he's finally got, like, a figure to, to these exchanges, right? Yeah. So he goes to Warren to offer support for re-election. And he hopes this will get Alston and Carey out of there, and he can go back to making money and making brooms. He wants back in there. So they really begin pressuring Carey about his hypocrisy and being selective with like the enforcement of the gambling laws. And things are also going awry at the prison. Like another guard is killed, uh, prisoners escape. I think there was one. Uh, yes, the the guard. There was a guard killed, and like he was shot by like somebody outside the prison. Oh my god! And then they found like I think like hacksaws and hammers and stuff like from the area where they thought the shot may have came from. So the theory is that someone was trying to break in. Yeah, well, help someone break out. Yes, yes. So uh, the All Stars get one more game on August twenty seventh, and there wasn't much. Press. The Rollins Republican wrote that the juniors didn't play up to their usual standard, despite the score. They they still lost fifteen to ten. So the con- they, they so they scored ten. Ah, but they lost. Yes, the 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 supply company lost. Yes. Won. Oh, so the convicts win again. The convicts win again. Four oh, and, four and zero. Oh. They won fifteen ten. Okay. Uh, so that that was it though. 
That was it. And there they, was no more baseball? No. They, they disbanded the team, and there was never any proven, clear connection with the gambling other than Graham's claims. Oh. So they, they just, like, shit was just getting too... And the fact that people would, like, see this guy around town. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So Sang continued to work for the infirmary through the winter, and there were many appeals to reduce his sentence to life imprisonment. His mother, his brother, and his sister and priest all wrote letters to the governor asking for clemency and a reduced sentence to uh, life in prison. But there was no use for a baseball-playing murderer at the prison anymore, I guess. I guess. So Governor Carey returned letters to all inquirers saying that he had reviewed the case and there was no reason to lessen the punishment. So Sang ultimately met his fate and was hanged. His friend, the prison doctor, McGee, tied the noose and Sang told him, quote, Tell my mother goodbye for me, doctor. Oof. And he fell from the gallows, but his d- neck did not break. Oh. And he was strangled for nine minutes. What the fuck? Okay. And, and pronounced dead at 2.54 a.m. May 24th, 1912. So, like, it's that's super gruesome, you know. Yes. A. Yeah. Uh, but, like, I, I heard this talked about some, on another podcast, but I wondered, like, they mentioned about how the fact that the wording in the sentence is specifically hanged from the neck until dead. Uh-huh. So, like, you know, maybe... That that kind of implies that there were hangings before where they just dropped them, expected their neck to be broken, yeah. and then they weren't. And Yeah. yeah so, anyway. Luck of the draw. Yeah, so that's fucked up. Yeah, it's very fucked up. Uh, so he's pronounced dead 2.54 a.m. May 24th, 1912. Ora Carmen, Earl Stone, John Crotty, and Frank Fitzgerald finished their sentences by the end of 1911. Yeah. Uh, Pendercraft was paroled in January of 1912. Thomas Cameron and Sidney Potter finished their sentences in 1912 as well. And Joseph Gazzardo helped put a fire out in July of 1912 and was pardoned. Oh. That was the guy who, like, shot the lady defending himself by accident. Yeah. So, you know, I guess they granted him a little bit of... Yeah. You know, clemency there. Uh, and Eugene Rowan was granted parole in November of 1913. But as for George Sabin, he was serving a 20 plus year sentence, but had all the privileges you could expect in prison. Yes. Or not even, not expect. Good fellow stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, it helps when your friend's the warden. But how about uh, a privilege of freedom? On December 17, 1917, Sabin and D.O. Johnson were returning from the daily work on the road gang when Sabin asked if they could stop in Basin to attend some business at the bank. Okay. Of course, they stopped at a hotel, and at about 7 o'clock that evening, Sabin, Sabin was allowed to go see some friends, and he was never seen again. They <laughs> just... Johnson didn't raise any alarms until 11 the next morning when Sabin was long gone. And Johnson, what? So he was just like, oh, it, he's coming back, yeah, I'm sure. Exactly. He explained that he didn't say anything because he figured Sabin would return and that report that to report him would, quote, take away his credits. They, yeah, it would. <laughs> yeah. He's gone. He fucking escaped. 
So about a month later, the Carbon County Journal continued its coverage, quote, It has been found out that Ora Allen, an associate of both D.O. Johnson and George Sabin, left for Basin in his car the same night that Sabin escaped with a mysterious passenger. The two were headed north. Allen was caught at Bridger, Montana on the return trip from Laurel, where he had left Sabin. We understand he admitted that he took the fugitive on the night flight, but claims he thought all straight and right, Montana authorities believed Allen and Johnson were working together to help Saban escape. Which is like, I don't know if Johnson was like, I mean, he, he went and told on him. So like, I don't really yeah, know, I don't but think, yeah. he may have got paid or something. Yeah, yeah. Well, in the end is somebody was going to ask questions about that prisoner that just disappeared. <laughs> yeah. But that was another confirmation of the conspiracy. Otto Graham thought to be afoot. And Johnson's involvement in Sabin's escape confirmed his suspicions that the penitentiary administration was corrupt from top to bottom. He believed Warren Alston was ultimately responsible for Sabin's getaway. And he wrote his pal Francis Warren on September 12, 1914, that he, quote, had no doubt that Felix Alston knew ahead of time that George would run. He let him go when the threat of everyone finding out they were gambling on the inmate baseball team became too real for him. Oh, my God. They're like, get out of here. You know too much. Yeah, yeah. That's that's uh, Graham, and that's, well, now the senator. That's the senator Yeah, that's what the senator's accusation now. is, yeah. yeah. So that's the story, long story, of uh, political infighting, really, within uh, Wyoming at the turn of the last century and how a couple dudes probably made some pretty decent money gambling on only four games played by convicted felons <laughs> who turned to perfect gentlemen when they took the places under the sun and out in the field wow so, you know that's uh that's quite a story yeah i'm sorry it was so long that our guest had to drop out there but it, uh, it, it, i was just about to say if you don't hear blake anymore unfortunately yeah. uh we promised him under an hour and, and we're over that now yes and i i made a huge mistake in in making that as long-winded as i did so i apologize for that oh but, my uh, goodness i'm sure he enjoyed it and uh he says so because we we recorded a little uh outro with him uh just before and uh you know this is where we're going to add that in. All right. So th amazing, amazing. And, and thank you so much, Blake. Uh, if you didn't hear Blake at the end, unfortunately he had to drop off, but we're doing this a little preemptively. Blake, where, where can they find you? Uh, and, and where can they listen to your wonderful analysis of uh, Blue Jays and baseball? Well, first, uh, thanks for having me on. This has been a fascinating story, and I'm, I'm actually, I've bookmarked that book. I want to go check that out, see if it's at any of the Toronto libraries to learn a little bit more about this one. So thanks for that, uh, Eds. Um, yeah, I'm on Twitter, Blake Murphy ODC, or whatever that's called now. Uh, Jays Talk Plus, 10 to 12 every day, and then in the, the Blue Jays Talk podcast feed. Nothing really to promote other than extended hours for the uh, the deadline next week. All right, well, awesome. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Blake, uh, for coming and joining us here in a little bit. I know you weren't expecting uh, human skin shoes and cattle ranchers killing <laughs> sheep farmers. Uh, no, there's a movie in here, though, for sure. There is. There Definitely. is. Well, we appreciate you so much for, for joining us. Uh, thanks again. Uh, can't wait to, to hear your trade down line coverage. But yeah, thanks again, Blake. Uh, take care. Thanks, thanks fellas. Blake. So, Ed's uh, appreciate the story. I think that was uh, one of uh, a, a gem, to say the least. Well, yeah. thank you for saying that. 
I thought it was beautiful <laughs> and uh, quite disturbing in yes. how much detail you went into both uh, with the legislation well, and the, uh, the 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 skin shoes. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I, I again, I I hate to say it, but I felt like if I only focused on the games. Like, it wouldn't really provide enough context. It was just like, oh, okay, well, the convicts played four games. They're a bunch of murderers. Yeah. But why? But why? You kind of had to, you know, get who... Had a a second story of uh, some political guys fighting back and forth. But anyway, uh, enough about that. Uh, Before we get out of here, I also just want to quickly shout out again to the book by Howard Kazanjian and Chris Enns, The Death Row All-Stars, A Story of Baseball Corruption and Murder. Because that was, uh, you know, if you can believe it, and I'm sure you can, a much more in-depth dive than even that was. And I want to, like, thank those guys for doing, you know, most of the research and and combing through a lot of the newspaper articles that I actually, you know, went and looked up myself, thanks to our, like, new uh, resources from uh, Sabre. But, uh, you know, uh, thanks to them for, you know, pointing me in the direction of the of the official quotes well you did too good of a job Edzi. you did too much research (laughs) and uh too much in depth that as i say i I, I, it was a great story thanks so much again to blake murphy for for joining us for that uh hopefully we can have him on again soon for uh uh, for the whole whole gambit but uh thank you so much again Edzi. and uh where can the people find us on the internets Uh, you can find us on twitter at doing baseball and on instagram and tiktok at doing dot baseball. That's right. I'm at Sean Do Baseball. And I'm at Ed's Do Baseball. And please, wherever you're listening, however you're listening, give us a review, give us a rating. Uh, it all helps us spread uh, the word on our show as well as some awesome events from baseball history. And until next time, I'm Sean. And I'm Ed's. And we were bringing you some baseball. Okay, bye. Bye. Bye.